uh, was comforted by the words of Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13 and 14, which says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem when you see this. Your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass and the hand of the Lord will be made known to all his servants. So as we think of these pandemic times, let us also know that the Lord who comforts is the Lord who remains with us every step of the way. And of course, there are other aspects within our spiritual life and within our journey together that affect the way in which we view the circumstances of our existence currently. And in the theme that we are focusing on today, it is the theme by which I seek to enable us to consider what it means to not let what affects us in the immediate uh, take us away from that which gives us life, hope, and meaning in the present, in the future, and for always. So setting our gaze upon the divine is about us knowing that the Lord is ready to respond, to be visibly seen by all the faithful in spite of the times that we find ourselves in. But in order for us to see the readiness of the Lord's action at work in us, not only have we to understand the circumstances by which we should set our gaze upon the Lord, but also we should understand the calling that reviews, renews, and regenerates the persons we are in order to be able in gazing upon the divine, in gazing upon God, to see ourselves being a people who can be restored, being a people who can be renewed, and being a people who can be saved. I think the first aspect I want to touch for touch on is about accepting what is in order to allow ourselves to yield to the hope that is promised. Accepting what is in order to allow ourselves to yield to the hope that is promised. I'm very much reminded of growing up with my grandmother in the Eastern Cape of Southern Africa, where our, our warmth in the winter months came from a fire in the central uh, hut, in the, in the central place of the hut of the room that we occupied. Then it was a live fire with logs and twigs, etc. And on this one particular night, uh, we hadn't gathered enough wood. And so we realized that the fire would run out before the morning. And grandma looked at, uh, at me and said to me, um, son, I think you would need to gather some more twigs outside to pep up this fire. And noting how dark it was, I was um, 
quite afraid and I didn't really want to go outside to gather the wood. And grandma said, look, you won't be alone. I will be with you. I'll be standing by the door with you as you go and uh, gather the wood. So she opened the door with the remaining light of the fire. Her silhouette was uh, lighting through from the door with the light of the hut door open as I walked down the path to the little forest next to our house to gather some wood. And as I was beginning to pick up the twigs, and obviously, you know, in the midst of the night, there is rustling and noise, etc., that takes place. And as I was beginning to gather the wood, um, I, I would be afraid. And grandma's voice would come from behind me and would say, I can see you. Keep on gathering more wood. We need more wood than that. And I would gather even more uh, of the wood that we needed. And as I'm walking even further away from the house, her voice kept carrying through and letting me realize that I'm not alone, even as I'm afraid in the gathering of this wood. And as I made my way back, the first thing that hit me was not just the fact that her voice was carrying on constantly to encourage me, but what hit me most was the fact that the remaining light, no matter how feeble from the heart, was still showing and lighting the way for me to be able to return to the heart. What was in that circumstances was that in order to survive the night, we needed that wood. What is in this time that in order to survive the challenges that we face, we need to focus our gaze on the one who brings us life. When God made his promise to Abram, whom he renamed Abraham, he showed that God has the power, the will, and the purpose of transforming humanity from what was perhaps the unknown and the ununderstood to bring into the known and into the very center heart of God. In letting Abraham know that he will be with him, God's voice has never ceased throughout the generations to let us know that he is with us. Sometimes all we need to do is stop and listen out and we will hear God's voice in various ways, whether through the media or whether through uh, the, the scriptures or whether through the people that we engage with over the telephone on a daily basis. There is something in all our interactions that speaks of a God who is present the God of our being, of our creation, of our beginning, and who will be the God of our ending, being always there, being always present, and asks us to never lose sight of his presence in spite of all that we face. One of the central places by which that fire of hope keeps us going is the scriptures. And I remember C.S. Lewis's words when he said that it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. 
The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to Christ. We must not use therefore the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken for use for all human need, but rather as the central aspect of who Christ is and what Christ seeks to do for us in these times. So these are occasions for us of learning to accept what is so that we can begin to live out that promise that was first given to Abraham. Now, we find ourselves in the second aspect, faced with a very excitable Peter, who after Jesus had explained how he would come to, uh, to die and then be raised again on the third day. Uh, Peter, in his fatherly approach, rebukes Jesus and asks him to stop talking in those terms. Now, one of the aspects that is interesting within this is that Jesus draws Peter away from his fear, from the fear of what will be and the fear of the unknown. And Pete, Jesus tells him in very clear terms, and I just want to quote it uh, directly. Uh, um, uh, instead of directly answering Peter, Jesus tends to his disciples, rebukes Peter, says to him, get behind me, Satan. And then this is the, the, the phrase I am looking for. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. In this second aspect, there is something of a generosity of self-giving, of self-denial, that Jesus is trying to draw Peter to focus upon. That his death might be a painful thing, that the coming of his death might be something that we shudder even to think about. That the demise of aspects of living, the demise of ways of relating and of being with one another might be scary for us. But Jesus cautions us and says, there is far more important things we are to do. Just as in the words of C.S. Lewis, there is a centrality to our being that finds meaning and hope, not in trying to self-preserve, but in yielding to the will of our God in spite of our challenges. And that yielding that Jesus wants us to focus upon is gazing upon the divine, looking at those aspects of our creation as human beings, which allow us to find meaning from whom we came. In other words, from whom in whose image we are made. Gazing upon the divine, therefore, is about us saying, this too shall pass. The times that we find ourselves in need for us to hold each other, to uphold each other in prayer, and to take one another's hand as we traverse these very unstable and uncertain moments. But as we do so, 
to not concentrate on what simply is, but to take upon the generous aspect of self-giving that Christ speaks about and to become one in Christ as we take upon that aspect of generous self-giving so that human ambition and human survival instinct is pushed aside and what becomes more fruitful and what becomes more engaging and connecting for us is hearing the voice of God saying, I am with you till the end of the age. Just as I continually heard my grandmother's voice speaking as I gathered wood, Christ is saying to Peter, there is work to be done even in the midst of the pandemic, even in the midst of the struggles that people face, even in the fears that make us sometimes transfixed and not know what to do. There is work to be done. And as we do that work, God's voice will constantly be encouraging, be comforting, and be alongside us as we focus on that which matters most. The third and final aspect that is very important as we set our gaze upon the divine is to remember that Lent yields us towards the birth of newness, towards the birth of new community, towards the birth of new understandings of what it means to be a people imaged upon Christ. And one of the aspects that I feel challenged by as I look upon this time of Lent is the aspect of moving even as uh, one is shielding or even as one is keeping to their own environment and home and unable to connect with us, with others, it is still remembering that there are others. It is still recollecting that myself needs to shrink in order for others also to be brought up, to feel affirmed and to feel encouraged. If I focus on the self, and if I simply do those things that are good for the self, then I miss the element of gazing upon the divine. Because in myself alone, I can and will miss what is divine and what is divinely unfolding within my surroundings. But in connecting with another, whether through these media technological platforms, whether through the telephone, whether through email, or whether through uh, other aspects that we are able walking uh, socially distance, uh, and etc., the aspect of gazing on each other reminds us to gaze upon the divine. For it is in each other's hopeful faces, it is in each other's hopeful language. It is in each other's hopeful comfort of knowing that we are in this together, that we will begin to see what God is doing for our state, what God is doing for our stakes and for the sake of all of humanity. This then introduces an excellent dynamic, which is a dynamic of rebuke that Christ used in speaking uh, to Peter. 
But that dynamic can be matched as well with another phrase, which I like, which is the phrase of election, a phrase of being chosen, a phrase of being picked and of being placed in a place where there will be fruitfulness. On the one hand, Christ rebukes Peter, but it is the same Peter that he takes together with him and James up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. He might have rebuked him at this time, but he also sees in him what the future will look like. We might feel the circumstances of our existence are harsh upon us at this time, but the harshness of the moment is the election of tomorrow. When we focus on Christ, when we focus on the God who can make a 99-year-old person suddenly be able to have a child in the, in the reading in the, in the book of Genesis, then we can accept that that same God is able to move us from the aspect of our being now into a place where there is better living where there is hopeful living and where there is newness of life. So our rebuke or what we feel are our circumstances of fearful existence in these moments will become our election and times of change that come only by the grace that Christ gives us. And in conclusion, therefore, I want to read you a snippet that um, uh, the United Nations Secretary General of old, who was known as Kofi Annan, uh, said when he spoke to a reporter. And I quite like that because it links in very proficiently with our need to gaze in the right direction and to gaze upon the divine. This reporter said to Kofi Annan, the United Nations should move in, and this was in relation to the situation in Mogadishu and in Somalia. The United Nations should move in there and take over the administration of the Mogadishu population. Surely the United Nations can do that. Don't you agree? That's the only way that things can get resolved. And then Kofi Annan responded and said, that will take an enormous number of troops and troops that can take the kinds of risks that are necessary. It would be a war, he replied. It was several months earlier in September 92, when he was Assistant Secretary General and Deputy Chief of the United Nations Department of Peacekeeping Operations. And this reporter's question reflected the bold and uncritical naivety that accompanies international communities' new interest in humanitarian action. Many wanted something done and done quickly in response to the terrible scenes that they were witnessing. But without fully accepting the implications of what that would mean, particularly the political will required to fulfill such ambitions. We do want to see things happen quickly. We do want to see change happen quickly in the midst of these pandemic situations we live in. But what Kofi Annan calls the political will, I call the spiritual will. 
There should be a spiritual will in all Christians of all walks of life to focus upon that which will bring lasting change, not just simply immediate reprieve. When we follow the guidelines given in order to deal with the situations that we are faced with as a nation, it is our Lenten call to deprive ourselves, to deny ourselves, to selflessly let go of those comforts that we would rather have in order that the long-term goal may be made even more realizable through the spiritual will that we hold as a people of God. That is what the world needs to see in us, to hear from us and to accept that things can be different. But we have a God who when we gaze upon is already listening and is ready to give us the answers. What did the psalmist in Psalm 22 says? Cried and said, but Lord be not far from me for you are my strength. Do come quickly and help me. And when the Lord has come, when we have gazed upon the divine and God has responded to our plight, we will in verse 31 of Psalm 22, proclaim the righteousness of God. And we will declare to all that the Lord has done it. For the Lord to do it, let us gaze upon him. Let us trust him and let us live in the knowledge that the tools we have are adequate and God is on our side to see us through.